On this episode of DLN Extend, we take a look at some of our favorite hardware makers. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 46 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Groups, Discord Servers, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. And welcome to the show, everybody. And with me are my fantastic co-hosts, as always, Nate and Wendy. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, Matt, I missed back. you. Kind of. You miss me. Uh, you miss me like you missed using OpenSUSE. <laughs> I never miss that because I'm always using it. He never stops. Uh, so therefore, he doesn't ever miss me. <laughs> you've you've grown on me over the years, like you know, like fungus. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, well, some people enjoy mushrooms. So, with that being said, Wendy, what have you been up to? <laughs> After last week, I threw. Jing OS on the Microsoft Surface Pro for just a second. Well, I can't say I threw the OS on there as I just plugged in a USB device that had the live OS on there and was going to play with it a little bit. And I kind of figured that, hey, they say that they use the specialty kernel for the Microsoft. So I kind of expected touch to work out of the box on the live USB and it didn't. So I'm pretty sure that's something that gets installed when you go through the installation process. And I hadn't done that yet just because I was still playing with Manjaro on it and really liked it. There are things about the way they've designed it that I really do like. It is meant full force for touch use. And I do like the way they have some of those settings drop down menus laid out because there was no touch on it at first. It would be really, really hard to install the operating system in certain ways. Applications would go full screen. There was no X on some of them to back out. And this was really more specific for applications that were built into Plasma. So they've taken KDE Plasma and they've manipulated it in a way in order to get this tablet UI style together. So if you're on one of those more, I guess, native applications, you are missing that close button and getting out of it was really difficult. I would swipe back and forth either way and was having a really hard time. I ended up having to use the keyboard to back out of them. So if you are missing a keyboard to your Microsoft Surface, you're going to have to either get a USB one or something like that for installation because touch isn't there at first. I really want to explore it some more. This is in no means a review at this point. I just played with it a little bit. That's one of the, I guess, warnings I'd say if you're going to play with it or go to install it, you're going to need a physical keyboard or mouse in order to get this installed because touch isn't there on the surface line in the beginning. I've watched a few videos on this and the close situation, I think if I'm not mistaken, you actually have to drag the title bar down into the dock and then it kind of swipes away. And it wouldn't let me do that. It kept pulling down the notifications or the settings. That is interesting. I don't know why that would do that then. 
like you, I, I do agree. I think it's an interesting project. Um, I'm looking to see what they do with it. Did you have any issues with the whole like email sign up and all that stuff one day or were you just kind of whatever about it? I didn't so much. When it goes to install, it says, hey, if you're going to install this, so we're going to take some basic data to see, you know, what you're installing it on and that kind of thing. They're very upfront about the fact that there is hardware information that is being gathered at the time. And I don't think all in all, that's necessarily a bad thing. It does help projects to know what hardware it's being installed on. At this point, they know basically what it's being installed on already because there's only two devices that you can use it on, but it does help with some of the other spec-wise, right? Because there's different variations of either it's a Huawei device or this Microsoft Surface Pro 6. Do I necessarily like giving up information? No, we talked about that quite a bit last week with the topic of browsers and ghost read and extensions, that kind of thing. If a company is upfront with, hey, this is the information that we're going to pull and this is what we're using it for, I'm far more willing than if stuff like that is hidden. I'm not opposed to giving information about my system usage, but I want them to ask for it. If they ask for it, and they tell me what they're going to do with it. Totally cool. If you kind of slip it in there all sly-like, yeah, I'm not happy about that. I want my user experience to improve over time. I do enjoy having things improve little bits of data to this project of which I trust. If they can do that, I'm all for that. I generally actually will say yes if asked. If they're sly about it and they sneak it in or if I don't like some of the user agreement, then I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, no like Microsoft. I give them as little information as possible, not because I don't want them to make the product better, but I don't like all the wording they use around it. So maybe if they were a little more clear and or less, uh, I don't want to say sneaky, but sneaky, I'd give them more yeah. information. My only problem with the installation process for Jing is there is no option to say no, don't send the data. If there was a no, I probably would have installed it over Manjaro ready to give it a real test. I will. I just wish there was a no, I don't want to send data. And who knows, maybe maybe they'll eventually implement that because I mean, this is, we're talking very alpha software. Right, yes. And I expect there to be bugs. I expect there to be glitches and that kind of stuff going on. So when I was playing with the live USB, I figured there would be a little thing, you know, here and there. I wasn't expecting it to be fully polished. And oh my goodness, have they ever done an overhaul of plasma? I don't want to toot plasma's horn any more than I already have but I will. This DE is so incredibly flexible. It is amazing the way that different distributions can take the exact same plasma and make it their own for the use case of that distro. That is very cool. So Nate, what have you been up to? Well, speaking of plasma, took my configured Punsusa Breeze Dark theme and I decided to actually publish it for others to use and also the color scheme that I use as well. Basically how this all came into existence was when using Caden Live, it did not like the Punsusa Dark alternate theme that I had been using for years because you know, things had changed. And so you couldn't actually utilize a lot of the toolbars because the colors, the palette was not working, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Because Breeze Dark is more or less a kind of standard other applications will recognize and have uh, tested against. I basically just took that theme and instead of having the blue color that KDE uses or Plasma uses, I changed that to different hues of green based on design language or the branding guidelines from the OpenSUSE wiki. Because those are a little bit too bright for the Breeze Dark, I just kind of muted the colors a little bit, made them a little bit less bright so it wasn't like obnoxiously green. So it was more of a, I don't want to say muted green, but a muted green of that same tone, if that makes any sense. 
I figured out how to roll all that together, make that plasma style work with also the dark, breeze dark. And also, so instead of using the plasma symbol, the, um, or the KD symbol, like the little, like a greater than symbol with three dots, which, you know, it's fine. I prefer to see the Geeko button in my corner on the menu, and I don't want to have to do that manually. If you installed it, it would automatically do that. I'm really happy with how it turned out. You can actually, on your plasma, if you look for new looks or whatever, you can download new looks, you will see Consuse a Breeze Dark theme by Cubicle Nate. That's me. And I'm pretty excited about that. Do something that other people can utilize. So I've already had some messages, some positive feedback on it. I'm happy about that. So the next step in this is to uh, build a global theme. So you know how they have the, the global themes in Plasma. You just click on that and it changes everything. So I'm working on the global theme. I've looked at the code, like the example code, and I think I'm doing it right but it doesn't seem to work. So I don't know what I'm doing wrong. But I'm gonna keep working on that. My, my intent though is to build RPM package for it so it can be in the OpenSUSE repository. So you can just install it that way. Also, I wanna build like a flat pack and snap of it as well. So that when I utilize flat packs and snaps, they will use that theme as well. I don't have any idea how to do that at this point. It is a goal. It's something I see out there on the horizon of what I'm going to do. I'll try and do that as well. This has all forced me to polish up my GitHub abilities. When working on it, my friend from uh, the other side podcast network, Yannick, he helped me out with some GitHub stuff here and there because I got lost in the sauce. I couldn't get it to work properly. I'm also going to work on my uh, open build service skills as well. And then I can do all these things. So that's what I have planned because uh, the open build service now supports building flat packs. So if I can build the RPM, I should be able to build a flat pack out of it. Don't know how to do the snap, but I know there's, there's some resources out there in the community that can help me through that as well. But anyway, so that's what I was doing. I did that over the weekend and yesterday a little bit. OpenSUSE Breeze Dark theme. Basically Breeze with the... Uh, OpenSUSE more branding. If you have any critiques of it, if there are things you don't like about it, I know for Matt, he won't like the Geeko button, but you know, I don't care. Wow, seed thrown. Uh, well, you know, a little bit. I did a thing and I'm kind of excited about it. Like, a, you know, a toddler when they use the bathroom, like, yay, use the bathroom on your own. It's, that's kind of how I feel at where I'm at. <laughs> yay, I did a thing. I used GitHub, so. Well, in fairness, is that how Ryan reacts every time he does something? Probably. So Matt, what exciting things have you been doing since we last heard from you, oh, two weeks ago? Like certain other people, I've actually picked up new hardware. <laughs> oh. New to me hardware. Let me re restructure that. So I picked up, <laughs> Wendy, you'll find the irony here, a Microsoft Surface Book. Oh, you guys are like brothers now or something. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I do not have as new of hardware as she does. Um, this is a core i5 6600 processor. So it's like two core, four thread, eight gigs of RAM, 128 gig, uh, SSD. But I also got the performance base, which is the one with the dedicated GPU in it. Nice. I got the thing for less than $200. Wow. Still an amazing steal of a deal. Yeah. Well, considering these things still go four or 500 bucks on eBay, yeah, and say what you want about OS and all the other stuff. Just from what I've used of it so far, it is very nice on the situational kind of deal because you have the base, which you know you drop the screen into, like certain other things, like kind of like the, the Asus transformers and a lot of those type of devices. Instead of being locked with like the, the clamshell, you can actually flip the clamshell around and close the lid so that there's a tilted display over the keyboard. So it's like the yoga is almost. It makes it great for if you do like a lot of artwork and that kind of stuff. I don't have the pen. I really suck at work <laughs> as far as artwork. The different ways you can use it is really cool. Battery life has been pretty good for a used machine. I'm getting about six and a half, seven hours. I get about maybe two and a half, just the tablet 
tablet portion. The thing that I love about it, it's a three by two aspect ratio, a 3000 by 2000. I'm not the biggest fan of the way Windows does scaling. The clarity and the quality of that 13.5 inch screen is amazing. Not going to lie. It is crisp. Holy cow. It, it looks good. Mm-hmm. The color reproduction, and Wendy, you'll appreciate this portion, the color reproduction, there's so little calibration that you have to do to, to make it look right. And I was just like, oh, I like that <laughs> because my workstation is essentially the same deal. It's uh, the HP color, dream color stuff. The reason I got it is because sRGB ratings and being 100% and the Adobe ratings being 100%. Like those to me are yeah. super important. A lot of it's because it gives when you do film or when in your case photography, the less calibration you have to worry about, the more accurate stuff is and the better it looks. It, like there's just yeah. a more a softness or realness to, to stuff. That to me is super important. So that being available basically out of the box is really, really nice. That is nice. And as I told Ryan on the last Hardware Addicts, is this something that I'd want to do photo editing with on the go? Not so much, even though it does have really good color to it. But that's mostly because as the light quality changes around you and the way that it can be brighter or darker and that kind of thing, it really affects your screen So if I'm doing something that is really important color-wise, where I needed to be super accurate there, I'd probably also do that on my main machine that doesn't move because it's much easier for me to control the ambient light around me and how that affects editing. Actually, I turn off the light in the room when I'm editing anyway. I'm kind of weird that way. I usually sit in a dark room (laughs) with my computer screen on. That's a personal choice. I have been just so amazed at how much I actually like that device. And I have to say, if it wasn't for the fact that you had told me multiple times how much you loved an older version you had, how much you really enjoyed it as a piece of hardware, I probably would have passed it by because it said Microsoft. And I'm so glad that I didn't. Yeah, which is ironic. And I'll be the first to admit that one. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to say, I'm imagining, Wendy, you're sitting in this dark cavernous room working on photos, something like like a Dr. Evil or something along those lines. like. The claw from Inspector Gadget, like with a cat and everything else. That's kind of, except you have guinea pigs as opposed to cats. Except for guinea pigs, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the little boys wouldn't sit on my lap, but the one big boy, Roadrunner, that's his name, he would sit on my lap happily. Why I worked on photos. Next time, Gadget. Next time. That's how I'm imagining it now. That's how I'll forever imagine it whenever you're doing photo work. That's pretty much how I work at it in general, whether it's games or show editing or working on pictures, any of that stuff. I usually turn off the light and that more has to do with any glare on the screen will cause eye strain. I told you guys I'm really weird and super sensitive when it comes that way. So it's typically a dark room for that kind of thing. Yeah, well, it makes sense. I understand. Personally, I have to have things dark also in my super cubicle. I don't have a lot of lights in there. I just have like over my work areas is where I have the light and then the screens. So like the whole room for the most part is generally kind of dimly lit because otherwise I also will suffer from little eye strains. I blame it on getting old. Mine's not old. Mine's just stupid migraines. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. 
Ips optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln and you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And with us talking about hardware, we figured it would be a good show and a good time to actually talk about some of our favorite hardware OEMs. Now, this kind of runs the range, depending on which one of us it is. Nate, what is some of your favorite hardware? Well, historically, when it comes to laptops or even desktops, I've been a big Dell fan. I've pretty much since I've been buying hardware for myself post my Amiga days, it's been, aside from a few outliers, it's been Dell. When I got my very first laptop, I was really excited. This is like back in 2003. Sony Vio. The thing was a piece of crap. It actually broke on me twice. I was in Iraq the second time it broke. No, I was in Kuwait. So that was irritating. So I, I bought a Dell, like in a scratch and dent, whatever. I bought this Dell, Inspiron 5100, 5100, something like that. Still works to this day. Never had any problems with it. It just works. Bought a Latitude later on in 2007, and that thing still works, although I did retire it recently. Bought another Latitude. Using it right now. That's what I'm recording on. They're just great machines. They're easy to work on. They seem durable. You know, they don't necessarily have like the best of the best hardware in it. Like it's not like the newest and greatest. Well tried and tested just good hardware that just plain works. And that's what I appreciate. You know, I don't need anything fancy or your 4K whatever screens with perfect reproduction. You know, anything more than 1080p, I think is a waste. If I have a dead pixel on a 1080p screen, I won't even see it. That was actually more of a shot at Ryan because I think he's nuts. And, and maybe you guys, I think you're a little nuts too. But anything more than 1080p, I can't see it. I'm very happy with that. It doesn't take up a lot of resources to run that. Everything's easy to configure. Wait, again, I do have a screen that's, what's well, 1080p, but it's just an ultra wide. But does that count? As far as laptops go, big fan of Dell. Although I do have an elite book, an HP Elite book that I got from my previous employer as a parting gift. And that's been pretty great too. So now I'm like, wow, um, maybe Dell's got some competition as far as well-made hardware here. Because I've had, previous I've had HPs that were just like these Z-books, just, I mean this nicely, hot garbage is what they were. Keyboards were terrible. They're unstable. USB-C stuff would like kind of work. But the Elite book is really great. And I see Matt, you are a fan of the Elite book. I'm a fan of the older Elite books. The newer ones I have problems with, but that's on a different level because the one I have is, mine's ancient, but ancient for a reason. Because <laughs> it works? Because like you, they replaced the 17-inch, the last I looked anyway, the 17-inch Elite books with the Z books. And the Z books I know have had nothing but problems. They look nice, don't get me wrong, but the biggest issue I've had is that machine I have, I can upgrade things like the GPU or the CPU if I really need to. Not so much in the newer ones. If you can't like upgrade things, I just think that's silly. Okay, I get it kind of for a mobile device because they're very, very small. But for a laptop, whenever I hear soldered on, which should be user replaceable components, as soon as I hear soldered on, I'm I'm like, all right, I'm out. I tap out. That's it. I'm done. I'm not touching that piece of hardware. We're not going to get along. We should just go ahead and part ways at this point. 
I feel you. Some other hardware that you like, though, as far as manufacturers. All right, so when it comes to printers, at this point, I only buy HP. They've been very good with the open source. I've not purchased that many printers in the last 20 years, but I'm on my third printer in the last 20 years. An OfficeJet 8600. Four separate cartridges for ink. There's a bigger cartridge for the black, and then a separate for cyan, magenta, and yellow. I go through ink not very quickly. I go through a lot of paper. I home educate my kids, and so I'm constantly printing things out, you know, pages or whatever, create my own product for them to, to learn off of. It's just been a great printer. I've had some issues with like buying the cheap knockoff ink. That's uh, bit me in the butt more than once. I haven't quite learned my lesson yet. I buy the expensive HP ink and don't have problems. Really, honestly, I'm not buying that much ink. I'll buy maybe a set of cartridges every nine months-ish, maybe a year. It varies, but about Holy that. Holy moly, you must not print very much. I do. I print a lot. I go through more black than I do color. So I'll buy a black right. cartridge, but I won't go with like a whole. The last cartridges I bought were in, I think, July or August. I'm now getting the low levels on my Magenta now. So so how many pages will a black print? Do you know off the top of your head? Probably not. Huh? I don't know, but a lot. I just swapped out the black one by those separately. So I could probably log into the thing and find out. Yeah, so I, I don't go through a lot of ink. Print a lot, but it doesn't go through so quickly that it is an issue. I guess is really what it, what it comes down to. And I'm not really sure. There's some metrics on here someplace. If I find it, I will let you know. Sounds good. I've actually been looking into the Inco tanks. There's a couple different companies that have the Eco tank style where you just refill the ink instead of rebuying whole cartridges. Mm -hmm. And I really like the idea of that. But I was actually thinking about going Epson because while you've had great luck with HP, I've had great luck with Epson as far as printers go for that kind of thing. Ink-based then? Yeah, so they are a it's an inkjet printer. I have looked into the laser printers and I really like the idea of man, you can print so many pages with the laser as opposed to the inkjet. The problem comes with the expense of replacing those holy moly in order to be able to print anything again on a laser printer it's almost like buying a whole new printer expense wise which just blows me away how much does it cost like we're talking like 100 bucks whatever on the ones that i was looking at so you'd have the black and then your three other colors so base cmyk it was like 80 bucks per cartridge a little bit more than what i spent on my hp <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, expense wise, when it comes to laser, I think you're doing good on total price per page. And now it's going to cost nearly, you know, $400 to replace all of it. And I know, you know, you're not replacing your laser ribbons all the time, but holy moly, that's been kind of a standoff. Epson doesn't officially, quote unquote, support Linux. But they do put out Linux drivers and basically it's saying that, hey, here's drivers for Linux. They don't do official support with people on Linux, right? If you call and say, hey, I'm using Linux, they are less likely to troubleshoot with you. And I'm sure it's because their techs don't have training in it, which is kind of a bummer. But they do put out drivers so you can use all of the features on your Epson printer. Well, that's decent. I was looking at Brother as a possible alternate out there too, but I just never actually pulled the trigger on it. So I looked, printed a total of 5,974 pages on this printer in its lifetime. Total like black and white pages printed, just black and white, 1,700 of those. The way it, it handles stuff, you know, it, it wants to use some of the colored ink. 
I have four empty black cartridges because I saved all my cartridges. I'm looking, I've used four cartridges of black ink in those almost 6,000 pages. So if that's any kind of a, an indicator, I get quite a few pages per cartridge. And it's about that same, probably a little less of, of the in individual colors, but I'm not going to sort those now. That can happen at another time. Just interesting, interesting to know about what you're getting from them because that does make a difference. Wendy, what are some of your favorites? If we're going peripherals and using them with Linux, I have to say I've really enjoyed my Cooler Master mechanical keyboard. And one of the things that I've loved about this keyboard is I didn't need software in order to change the back light on it. I am not a fan of Rainbow Vomit, but I do love a backlit keyboard and I didn't want it to be flashing all kinds of funky colors or having to fire up a Windows drive in order to get RGB on my keyboard to work. And this one, using the function buttons, you can control what the lighting looks like. You can change colors on different settings. That has been a super awesome keyboard. I love the way it works. I would highly recommend it to anybody who was looking for a mechanical keyboard. I did get the one with blue switches. Even though I love them, I love the tactile feedback. I love the sound. The only downside of this keyboard is in working in quiet environments or doing a podcast, that kind of thing. They become really noisy really quickly. So if I was to buy this keyboard again, I would get it with the brown switches instead of the blue. Still have the tactile feedback just without the audible click. If we're going lightweight laptops, this will be a reference from last week's show. I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but hands down, it is the Microsoft Surface devices. They are so comfortable to use. The screens are amazing. The speakers are great on them. And I have multiple devices that are two-in-ones at this point. So I've got the Samsung tablet that I have the official keyboard for. Then I have the little HP that I picked up that's a two-in-one. It has more of a traditional style keyboard and the screen comes off from that more traditional style keyboard. And then the Microsoft Surface Pro. And of all of them, my favorite keyboard on one of these two-in-one devices is the official one from Microsoft. The key feel has a great travel to it. It feels sturdy. It came backlit of all of them. It's the only one that's a backlit keyboard. Overall, hardware-wise, it's one of my favorite lightweight laptops. And as I said before, I would 100% purchase one, a used one, again. We were talking off show and Matt, you'd ask me, would I buy one new if I knew out of the box that it would work with Linux? And my answer was no. I feel they are overpriced brand new, but to get a used one, I would absolutely buy another one. I would use them full time for the kids to use for school, that kind of thing, just because they are so solidly built. The hardware in them is quality and the keyboards that you use with them really are made to use every day. How do you like the Alcantara on the keyboard? Just out of curiosity. The soft cloth that's on the keyboard. That I would have to say is my least favorite part of it. And that's just because yeah. I have children. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> Yeah, the Alcatara thing's a little weird to get used to. I'm a few different surface devices. Now, surprisingly, say what you want about their OS. I will give Microsoft props on their hardware. 
they are the ones that really push the the two in one category. You can debate and say what you want about their OS, but as far as the actual hardware and its implementation and the engineering of the hardware, it's, it's hard to argue that it's not really good. Well, and I don't think anybody that listens to this show or Hardware Addicts can say that I am a Microsoft <laughs> OS fan. I have made it pretty clear that every time I've had to boot into it, it's been painful. I've had one issue or another. OS-wise, not a fan. Hardware-wise, <laughs> different story. Well, it's not like Microsoft is actually making it. They're contracting somebody to make it to some specifications. So you could argue that Microsoft can't even screw that up. The best comparison I've been able to have is go back to like the 2012 MacBook Pros and stuff. If you were looking for like a ideal comparison as far as how the blueprints in this case would be, as far as you know, like Foxconn or whatever making these devices. That's what the feeling I get from using like a Surface device. Like there's just a quality to it. It's one of those weird like intangibles you really can't explain unless you've used it. The whole MacBook comparison is I'm not regarding the OS. I'm just talking like the physical use of the machine. It's really hard to explain unless you've actually used one. Is there another type of laptop besides these really lightweight Microsoft ones that you enjoy, Matt? I enjoy the old HP Elite books. Uh, Nate, I know you have the thin and light kind of one. Uh, what the 14 inch, 13 inch? 14. I prefer the older 17 inch models like the 8760W that I have or the 8770Ws, like that second, third gen i7 line because they're upgradable CPU, GPU, RAM, multiple drive bays, Blu ray drives, take your pick, whatever you want, basically. That's everything's accessible and changeable. I like that. The Z books. They look nice. Personal experience, problematic at best. That's just a personal preference for me when it comes to that particular line. As far as general computing devices that I prefer, I tend to usually go Lenovo just because they usually have the best combination of hardware that I can get price-wise. So like if I wanted a AMD system with an RTX 2060, I can actually go get one of those right now for one of their laptops. They have a wide plethora of customization options and just kind of budget options and just stuff the the most demographics, which is something that I like. Obviously, I've been a ThinkPad fan for a long time. I love the ThinkPad keyboards. Any other business machine, don't care what line, does not come even close to a ThinkPad keyboard. It's almost like what I was talking about with the, with the Surface devices. Until you use it all the time, it's really hard to understand how good they are. And keyboards are so important regardless of the brand of laptop. If the keyboard is a horrible experience, it's really hard to use the laptop. It really is. And that's something that does matter to me. But overall, like those are my favorite general laptops that I usually look at, um, and which is weird given the fact that you, Wendy, you always tend to poke fun that I like weird hardware. You do for the most part, but I have to say the Lenovo laptop that we have, and it's more geared towards gaming. It's got a dedicated NVIDIA graphics card on it. Of any of the full-size laptops I've owned, especially now that some of that NVIDIA, I don't want to say garbage, but the difficulty in using that graphics card with drivers has been cleared up. It's really one of my favorite full-size laptops I've ever owned. One of the things that they did with that line that I love is where they put the speakers. They sound really good. They're in a position where they're not going to be muffled. 
The key feels really good. They've got a nice backlighting to it. Well, if I remember correctly, that particular laptop actually has like a one watt subwoofer on the bottom too. That's why it has that great sound to it. I like the fact that there's certain elements in that particular laptop. I know we've talked about it, that you can still upgrade certain portions of that hard drive and the SSDs and the NVMEs and just the various things that are on that. It's not total hardware replacements like I can do with the, the Elite Book that I have. It's a nice system that like, oh, I can crack this open and replace the RAM because it's not soldered to the board. Well, and it was one of those, I've replaced the thermal paste on it. And while most laptops, that is extremely difficult to do. I've got an old one that I am upgrading for my dad. And it is, I want to say that one is an HP. And in order to access the C in order to replace the thermal paste on it. And this thing is at least eight years old. So it really needs to be done if he's going to be continuing to use it. You have to completely dismantle the entire system. It is a pain in the butt to do. And if I remember on that Lenovo and the old Dell laptop that my in-laws were using that we now have, I replaced the thermal paste on that CPU too. It wasn't an overly enjoyable process, yeah. but it was manageable. De right? like definitely. And the fact that they still make it somewhat, I can only talk up to a Lenovo Legion line because that's where the last one I bought and like quote unquote new. Everything's still accessible and changeable and that kind of stuff. I appreciate that. And that's in a gamer focused consumer laptop. The Legion line, yeah, the build quality can be a little bit better. There are nickels and stuff, but I'll take repairability any day of the week over like, oh no, there's a little keyboard mush or whatever. One of my favorite things though that a lot more people are doing now is giving me more options in the CPU market. I'm not going to lie. I'm the biggest Ooh. fanboy for AMD now. <laughs> It's, I am probably a bigger fanboy for AMD than Ryan, except for when it comes to GPUs, which is ironic because the machine I'm doing this particular recording on is actually a Ryzen 2700X with a Vega 64. When it comes specifically to Linux, I'm an AMD CPU fan with a NVIDIA GPU guy. That's my preference. Despite the fact that people, whatever people want to say about, oh, you don't have to update X for AMD. Wendy, what's the one thing that you always need to constantly worry about when it comes to AMD and Linux? It's Mesa and the kernel. Those are your two. Like if you want oh, the consistent updates and all that stuff. Yeah. And that's been both mine and Ryan's biggest complaints when it comes to AMD GPUs is that if you have a system that is slow to update the kernel or the Mesa drivers, then you may not be able to use the latest and greatest from AMD. And that is very much a downside, even though they really put a lot into supporting the open source drivers. That's my caveat. That's my thing. So it is a criticism and you point the finger at the distros or AMD or whoever you want to point the finger at there. That's up for debate. The CPUs generically pretty much just work on Linux. There's, you know, the original like Verizon line had a few issues here and there. I understand NVIDIA has had its own issues not that long ago on Linux as far as like just it not working. <laughs> the black screen of death, blinking cursor of death. Uh, I'm not saying one Prime has ever been good <laughs> as far as the uh, optimal stuff not saying that's ever been great it's gotten a lot better a lot lot better now nvidia is just a better day one support if that makes sense with like drivers and that kind of stuff you know every company has issues etc like i expected but the new 3000 line 
had a bunch of issues related in Windows, and it was because of Linux that they got fixed. The fact that they have that support is really, really cool. And the fact that it's day one generically doesn't have the same issues of it might work, it might not in Linux like AMD's GPUs do. If we're talking straight CPUs, um, AMD to me crushes Intel every single day of the week right now. Yeah. Without a doubt, I know when I built this system, and I can't believe the system I'm looking at right now is almost a year old, there was no doubt I was going AMD on the CPU side. You should also keep in mind the amount of power consumed per amount of performance is way better on AMD as well. Which, ironically, not that long ago was not the case, because if you needed a space heater, (laughs) the joke was, go get an FX machine, and you'll get that with a bulldozer. Things are very likely to change again. I remember when I wouldn't even look at anything that had AMD inside of it, and I knew it was just because it was on the low end for the CPU, and I wanted something with a little more oomph. I was going an i5 or i7, but now it's just the opposite, and I'll say I am a big fan of AMD, but I'm also a fan of competition. You've heard me say on Hardware Addicts more than once, I want there to be competition between those two companies. I want to see Intel step up and have something to head to head with AMD on core counts, on power usage, on performance per dollar. I want to see that battle between the two. So I'm looking forward to the day that I'm saying I'm not sure which one I'm going to Because like you, competition is amazing. And I I think the last couple of years has really been a kick in the pants to uh, Intel as far as them resting on their laurels. We'll just add a few more cores. Oh, we'll charge you $3,000 for the Intel Extreme Quad Core i9 or whatever, you know, stupid marketing they would use. And it was literally just a little bit faster core clock count. So the fact that... AMD was like, yeah, here's a $3,000 processor with 64 cores exactly. and 128 threads. We don't care. I'd like to have a Threadripper just to say that I have a Threadripper, not that I actually need that much for anything that i do honestly i really like to upgrade my cpu but man i'm not looking at cpu prices right now even even third gen ryzen is like "Eh, i'm gonna go cry now (laughs) this episode of dln extend is sponsored by bitwarden Bitward is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications such as a master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. There are many reasons why I chose Bitwarden as my personal password manager. One of those reasons, it is 100% open source. You can also self-host your Bitwarden instance. They also offer security audits to make sure your passwords are as secure as they can possibly be. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. They offer a premium account for just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP authenticator storage and generation. Priority customer support. 
Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want that premium account for just $10 per year to support this amazing open source software. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Talking about hardware and all the fun that we have with GPUs and CPUs and just everything in general. I don't have a game recommendation this week. Wait, what? Weird. Ant, are you feeling well? Are you feeling well? Are you are you sick? How's your sense of taste? Overworked and underpaid like so many others. <laughs> this is going to be an update to show on the network. Everyone knows I'm a gamer. I make no qualms about the fact that I'll run Windows if it means I can play a game. I'll run, run it on console if I can play a game. I'll, I'll do everything first in Linux. I'm not going to limit my gaming experiences. You're a lover of games regardless of the platform. With that, I'm going to be taking over hosting GameSphere from Chris. Chris had to step away for stuff. There's going to be some format changes. It's going to be a, a very different show. You can listen to the last episode uh, Chris did. I was on conversations about video games and various other aspects of things we liked and didn't like. I talked a little bit about some of the changes. There's going to be an audio portion still to the show, but we're bringing a live streaming component to the show too. For those that don't know, the best example I can give of what this is going to be like is it is going to be like a show that Total Biscuit used to do, um, John Bain, before he passed away. I can't use the euphemism, unfortunately, that <laughs> goes with it. It's a live first impressions of a game. The actual live stream will be about an hour. We're going to be looking at community interaction and that kind of stuff. There will be a more condensed audio version with the show for those that want the review-esque portion of it from a revolving door of co-hosts. That means people across the network... Wendy Nate. Ooh. Oh, so we're going to play some like really awesome Game Boy games from like 1994 because I'm in head to head Dr. Mario <laughs> using that remote Steam play thing. Maybe somebody can incorporate all that crap in together. That'd be great. <laughs> what we're going to do is I'm going to tailor the experiences to people's interests. You wouldn't set me up with Doom where I would just die. No, but because I know you like nature and that kind of stuff, I'm going to set you up probably with like some type of atmospheric game that deals in that. So maybe a game like Firewatch as an example. I would have you play an hour of it. Here's some different categories on your take on the gameplay, the graphics, the sound, that kind of stuff. I want to bring people who are not traditionally gamers into gaming by tailoring the experience. It's kind of like tailoring a Linux distro to the user. I want to kind of tailor the game recommendations that I make as opposed to like stuff that I want to play. I want to kind of use all that knowledge and game collection of mine that I have, tailor an experience to the person and their interests, and maybe they'll find an interest in gaming through that. Almost like a choose-your-own-adventure gaming yes, podcast. Almost. Like in Dave's case, I would probably recommend some either 8-bit or 16-bit looking game <laughs> that will play similarly. Like kindergarten that's uh, a fun no, one in your case i'd probably make oh wait i already made that recommendation mega man mega man that tab's still open by the way shock and surprise the show is still going to be every two weeks we're still looking at dates and stuff um there's there's still some periphery stuff that i gotta try to work out with the, the other guys on the network but that's what we're looking to do i'm making sure the platform doesn't matter 
if you run Linux, I'm going to make sure the game that I recommend works on Linux. If you have, uh, you know, a Switch, a Wii U, a PS, whatever, an Xbox, and if that's the way you have to experience the game, we'll work with it. I'm trying to work with whatever people have, because that to me is far more important than this weird gatekeeping kind of stuff that, that tends to happen in the, the gaming side of the industry as far as technology and stuff. I just I want people to enjoy games. Well, that sounds like a good time. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the changes. Yeah, a lot of stuff to work out. Wendy, what about you? I had a camera corner update last week, and I've got another camera corner update today. I've decided what I'm going to do mic-wise. Just a refresher for the capture card I'm using. It is made to go with the Atomos Ninja that I already have. So it will take the feed from my camera into the Atomos and give a clean video. I'm going to continue using the mic that I'm using right now to podcast with and get the adapter for it as well for my Atomos. So I'll be taking my mic on and off the stand, which really isn't too bad and attaching it to another boom when using it for either some different streaming things or if I'm just going around the house, that kind of deal and being able to use high quality audio while telling you how I'm setting up the shot and you getting to see those two different things. I'm really excited to go ahead and hit buy on this. I have so much fun with it on Hardware Addicts and it really needs a video component added to it. There's just so much that I can't do in audio only. With these last two components on their way, we will have some official camera corner so I want to hear from you guys, what are some things that you'd like to see as far as natural light, maybe some DIY lighting, let's put together some shots that we can take together and then edit together. When you move your mic to the boom, is it a USB mic or is it like an uh, XLR style mic? What do you have there? It's an XLR style mic and my Atomos takes XLR as well, except for not a regular, it's like a mini so when I first ordered the Atomos and this XLR mic, I just was under the assumption I was going to be able to connect the two, no problem. So I had the mic, I have the windsock, I had an anti-vibration mount already for it. I have a really long XLR cable that it can connect to. So I thought I was going to be able to use this microphone straight out of the box with my Atomos. And then I got it and I'm looking at the connector and I'm like, holy crap. No, it's not going to work. The adapter in and of itself is not cheap. So I've been kind of holding off on that. And then I ended up using this mic to podcast with and not connecting it to my Atomos Ninja at all. And now where I have a reason to go ahead and get the adapter, because I was looking at using a different microphone. I've just decided I love the quality of this mic and I'd rather continue using this one for now and maybe getting a separate mic to go later so I'm not bouncing back and forth. But this is probably one of the fastest ways to get up and running and actually have Camera Corner be a real thing before the end of the year. Well, that's very exciting news. I'm really looking forward to this because there's a lot of things I don't know about cameras. I'm still learning. So this would be a good way to advance my education. Definitely looking forward to it. Always looking for new content and you know, broadening the knowledge base. Wendy has a a whole lot more knowledge and photography and that stuff than a lot of us on the network do, not gonna lie. <laughs> I am not the most knowledgeable ever, but I do enjoy sharing what I know 
And I love hearing from people who listen to the two different shows talking about they've now tried a quote unquote real camera and they love the stuff they're taking with it. They're taking it with them everywhere. And now it's time to take that device that they bought and help them get more use out of it. All right, Nate, Matt and I both have show updates. I'm pretty sure you have some new project update for us. Well, I wouldn't say new is the right word. So I have this 20, what year is it? 23-year-old TI-86 calculator that I still use on a regular basis. I needed to do some file transfers from that to my Linux machine. And I really actually hadn't done anything like that, like any data transfers and oh, decade plus. I got it working. This this uh, TILP application working on OpenSUSE. Basically, if you've done anything with like Arduinos or like any kind of COM port type communication applications, like if you had to do anything like that, then setting this up is pretty straightforward. I did a little write-up on it, using it and so forth. I'm amazed that there's still work being done. I guess maybe I shouldn't be that amazed since it's all around us. They're still maintaining not very actively, this communication stack with old Z80-based processor calculators. And there's actually, it's amazed at the number of silly games that are out there for it. I transferred over to the calculator, Super Mario clone. There's also a Zelda one that I put on there as well. I haven't played that yet. It's fun to see people take these little uh, pet passion projects and turn them into something you know to share with the world. Four stars there for the, uh, the open source world, all the fun things that they do and, and the entertainment they provide and the intellectual curiosities that they explore. So that's the other thing I I had done in the last week that was useful and also not. And there's a little nostalgia in there too as well. I remember using one of those calculators a long time ago. Back in high school when I got it. Wait a minute, that, that doesn't work right. If the 90s was only five years ago, nah, doesn't matter. Anyway. They hate to break it to you. The 90s was 30 years ago. No, 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 I can't. I can't. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for more information on how to connect with the show's social channels and all our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information, you can find me at cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. You can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on the DLN Discourse forum. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. 